invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Thank God for his word. And uh, we're really going to be centering on one verse today uh, here in this message and kind of a practical message for us today. Uh, over the last few weeks, we have been looking at our security in Christ from Romans chapter 8. I think we spent about eight weeks altogether on that passage, but very rich, rich passage of scripture. And then something that is uh, needed, especially knowing uh, that we are securing Christ. We praise God for that. Uh, and so today, let's go ahead and uh, begin reading actually only one verse. I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. We're looking at one verse together. Second Peter chapter 3. And we're going to look at the very last verse, verse 18. Follow along as I read. The Bible says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Very good verse, and uh, we're going to kind of dig through that today and see what that means for us today. And as I mentioned, we've been studying over Romans chapter 8, and uh, we learned there, just as a very quick summary in Christ, remember there is no condemnation for the child of God, and we also know that in him there is no separation as well. So we praise God for the assurance that we have that if you are God's child, that you have really nothing to fear. We praise God for that. What a glorious, glorious truth that is. So the question is this, now that we know of our standing in Christ, well, let's now take a look of how do we begin with our walk with the Lord? How do you, how does someone begin their new steps uh, of life with Christ? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, Therefore, if any man or woman or child be in Christ, he is a new creation, new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And I don't know about you, no matter if you've only been saved for a few weeks, a few years, or many years, it is important that we take steps in our growth with the Lord. And so what we're going to be talking about is kind of how to apply what we've been learning in Romans for the past or over the summer, really, and how do we apply this? And we're going to be talking about first steps for the believer, first steps for the believer. I think it's interesting to think about that when we have our, our children born, our babies that are born in our family, how cute and how precious they are to hold them. Think of uh, baby Nicholas back there. Is he back there? Is he awake? He's sleeping. All right. Shh, be very quiet, okay? But how how wonderful it is to hold that that baby, okay? And then we have Estella, who is, how old is she now? Year and a half, okay? Don't you remember those days? And Elizabeth is what, about almost two years, just about? 20 months, getting close, okay? But you know what? Those babies don't stay there. Look at the person sitting next to you, right? <laughs> so we grow, and that is the natural process of life, that we don't stay babies. We don't stay toddlers, and praise God, we don't stay teenagers, right? Okay, love you, teens. All right, they're gonna they're gonna be glad I'm gone next week, right? So, but seriously, we we do not stay in that position. We naturally grow in that regard. Okay, but my question is this: How do we grow in Christ? What does it mean to grow as a Christian? And so today, we're gonna be talking really over the next uh, even a little bit after missions conference as well, kind of on the theme of the first steps for believers. How do we walk? And, and I, I would say this, even if you've been saved for many years, I think it's tempting to think that, man, 
I don't have to do anything. I'm good. I got my ticket punched to heaven. I'm saved. Yeah, I'll come to church when I want to. You know, folks, that's not the Christian life. I, I want to say this. What this is really talking about is discipleship, how to follow Christ. That's really what this is about. And I think sometimes churches have confused. I like I listened to someone on the radio this past week, and I thought this was great, that a lot of times when, when churches think about discipleship, really what they're talking about is assimilation, meaning you fit into that local church mold. You bring the same things to the potluck. You dress the same. You sing the same songs. You, you do all those things culturally in the church. You assimilate into the church culture, and we call that discipleship. But you know what? People, if we're not careful, people equate that, well, that's really what it means to follow Jesus. And what we're doing is something, we're going to really peel back. Now, there's a lot of things that happen in church that are great. I love the fellowships we have. I love, you know, the songs that we sing together. I love all that. But if we simply said, man, that's what it means to be a Christian is just to do X, Y, and Z. I think we've really missed the boat of what true discipleship is all about. And what we're going to get to, we're going to get to the very foundations. How do we take our first steps? I want to say there's probably some Christians, maybe even here or that are watching online. You've been saved for 30 some years and you still have not taken first steps in following Jesus. You're still a babe. You're still on the milk of the word, which is great. It's nourishing. But you know what? We grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about today. Like I said, this can be really practical. So I encourage you, no matter where you are in your Christian life, is this, start your journey with God. And we're going to kind of cover uh, generally these concepts over the next several weeks is, first of all, to know him, to read his word, to pray, to listen, to connect, connect with other believers, have that fellowship, worship, and also sharing, sharing Christ with others. These are all just grassroots. These are foundations of our faith. So these things, these are principles that are vital to those in itself doesn't like make you grow per se, but they promote growth in you, okay? They promote growth. Just as, you know, a little bit of water and sunshine does not actually make a plant grow, but it promotes the growth of the plant. It brings them that environment to grow. And so that's kind of what we're, we're going to be focusing on. So I like what someone says this. The Christian life is like riding a bicycle. Unless you keep moving, you're going to fall off. Understand that? How many, I, I, let me confess, when I was probably about 13, 14, I remember riding my bike down the, the street where we were living, and uh, I was like trying to see how slow could I go without following, falling off. Have you ever tried that? Kids, have you ever tried that, teens? Okay. You tried going as slow as you go before you fell off. Let me give you my experience. It wasn't very long before that happened, Okay. Maybe a few seconds, all right? You try to balance yourself. But that's true. The Christian life is like riding a bicycle. You got to keep moving or you're going to fall off. You know, we have not arrived yet. In fact, none of us will truly arrive until we are in glory, until in heaven. Rather, it's interesting, the Apostle Paul and Peter both kind of had the same idea in our Christian life. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, he talks about pressing toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Pressing on, that means you're not standing still. You're going forward. And here as well, in Second Peter, the Apostle Peter says this, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is The idea here is this, that we're not standing still, that we're not content just to be there. 
So there is something very important. Now, as we think about this, I'll always like to share the context, a little bit of what's taking place here at the end of Second Peter. Um, uh, love, love this book itself, but in this, path, in this uh, last chapter, uh, it's really about living in the hope of the, the Lord's coming. Uh, it's very, it says here, especially in verses 9 and 10, talking about uh, the Lord's not slack concerning his promises, men's, some men count slackness, his long-suffering toward us were not willing that any should perish, but all should come repentance. Verse uh, 10, but the day the Lord will come as a thief of the night, in which the heavens shall pass away in the great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth and also in the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things are resolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, or the way of life, your conduct, okay? We're supposed to be looking and hastening for the coming of the day of God, okay? So there's a lot of things. They're talking about, really, there's a time coming, the Lord will return. How do we live in, in this moment there while we are waiting, while we are expecting his return, okay? That's one of the reasons, by the way, that topic itself is one of the reasons why we bring in Dr. Schmidt. Uh, and have him preach on this series. We preach about prophecy here and there too, but take a special time devoted to that because it's important. God's word uh, has shares a, an importance on the Lord's return. Very important. But what do we do in the meantime? How do we live as we're waiting for the Lord's return? And the and and Peter actually warns us that in those times that there are going to be be people that will bring in heresy, false teachings uh, as well. And you have to be warned. You have to be prepared. For these things, you got to be ready uh, for that. Be grounded in the Word of God. Know Jesus Christ. Love Him dearly and live for Him. And those things, you will be forewarned and therefore forearmed as you do that. Very, very important. Okay? So one of the key ways a believer can be prepared for anything that, uh, that the devil or our enemy may throw at us is found in 2 Peter 3.8. How do we stand and and be ready. Let me just read the verse before in verse 17. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing that ye know these things before, beware lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. So he's talking about beware of those false teachers and false teachings that do spring up from time to time. Be on guard. How do you be on guard? Verse 18 has the answer but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The more you know Christ, you'll, then all you'll, the more you will be able to identify the counterfeit when it comes up and stay away from it. Very, very important, okay? Now, as we talked about with the kids earlier, growth is not usually detectable when we see each other from day to day. But like I said, when someone hasn't seen you for a while, change is better seen. When I was a child, myself, with and my family who when they would come over uh, or I would go visit them, uh, they hadn't seen me in a while, maybe several months, uh, go see, me, see my grandma, for example, uh, or my uncles. And uh, they would say this, oh, look at how much you've grown. You probably said the same thing, right? Or someone said that to you, look how much you've grown. Now that's great as a child, but when they say that same thing to me now, look at how much you've grown, it has a totally different meaning, okay? Let's move on to the next subject, right? <laughs> Okay, so it's important we see how much have you grown? And here's the idea. God's plan for each Christian is growth. God's plan for each of you, if you're here today as a child of God today, his plan for you is to grow. Very, very simple. So let's break it down a little bit. What does it mean to grow in grace? The beginning of verse 18. What does it mean to grow in grace? 
Now, first of all, those who grow in grace are the ones who are saved by grace. Okay, remember that. Those who grow in grace are the ones who are saved by grace. Okay? Uh, and we, we, first of all, what do we mean when we say grace? I think sometimes we use these words and sometimes they just go over our head or maybe we've just heard it so much we become dull to it. But grace is really God's favor. It says unmerited favor towards us is the idea. There's a saying, it's God's riches at Christ's expense, an acronym for grace. And that's, that's true as well. Uh, but remember this, if someone is gracious to you, they expect nothing in return. And that's exactly what God did. He gives to you over and over grace upon grace, okay? He gives that to us through the person of Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. When you give a gift to someone, I hope your intention is that you're not expecting a gift back, okay? It's simply from your heart. It's simply from your nature and your idea. The nature of God is to give us his grace, to grow in that. He lavishes us with his grace and with his love. Folks, I don't think we really comprehend how much God is gracious to us. He gives over and over again. But like I said, those who grow in grace are the ones who are saved by grace. Think of it this way. I think sometimes people try to be Christian. Like I said, they, were, they assimilate as Christians, but they are, they're not saved by grace. And so really, how can they show the grace of God? Think of it this way. How many of you, like, um, uh, you know, you put up a Christmas tree. How many, you're there in the tradition where you like to get the live Christmas tree? Needles and all, okay? God bless you, all right? But let me ask you this. I'm going to ask Josh because I see, you know, Jen raised her hand on this. So let's say you went out and picked a tree for your family. You bring it home, and Jenny, you look at that and said, man, we're not having this house. Why? Because it's dead. It's a dead, barren tree. No needles, no nothing on that. It's been dead for probably years, right? You bring it in the house, and the kids help you put it up, and you start decorating the tree. How fun is it to look at a dead Christmas tree with ornaments on it? That's ridiculous. No one would do that. And Josh would never do that. Never do that. <laughs> but here's the thing. A lot of people who claim to be Christians do exactly that. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. They've never been truly saved. And to put God's grace upon, for them to grow in grace is like putting ornaments on a dead Christmas tree. It, it doesn't match. It's... It's like, you know, a giant, you know, uh, what do you call it? Giant shrimp, you know, it doesn't make sense. Or um, anyways, or a Vikings winning the Super Bowl. It doesn't make sense, you know. <laughs> Nothing about today's game, okay? But things seem off, and that's the idea. So here's the thing. Make sure when you read this verse, but grow in grace the knowledge of our uh, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's talking to believers. And if you're here as a child of God today, that's an ornament you can put on you as a tree, Okay. And that showcases God's glory, not your own. All right? Pretty, pretty important. So here's another thing. We do not grow in grace by ourselves. We cannot make ourselves grow. We measured the kids earlier today with their weight and height. And maybe you've done that yourself. Maybe you check periodically on your own. But the thing is this. Can you make yourself grow? Brother Array, can you make yourself grow? I'm going to see you next week. You've, you've grown three more centimeters. Okay? Maybe, but generally it's probably not going to happen. You can't make yourself grow, okay? I, I think it's interesting. When Jesus preached on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, he said, which of you, by taking thought, by thinking about it, can add one cubit to his stature? 
you can't think it. Uh, I'm going to try really hard. I'm taller. All right. It doesn't work. Okay. So here's the thing. We are, there's a couple things to know. How then do we get this grace? Number one, we are saved by grace. As we mentioned before, Ephesians 2. It's interesting in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we are strengthened by grace. We are strengthened by grace. In other words, spiritual growth happens because of the grace of God working in your life. We also know in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, that we are sustained in suffering by grace. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. We are, his grace is, uh, is, we are sustained by grace. And then also it is through Christ Jesus that we receive all the grace we need. 1 John 1, 16, it's grace upon grace. So I like what one person wrote about grace. Grace is the attribute of God that enables us to break free of our sinful nature and follow him. It gives us strength and protects us. Without his grace or his divine favor, we would be hopelessly lost in this world. The more grace we have and ask God for, the more mature as Christians we will be. In other words, you can ask for grace. God, be gracious to me. Give me your grace. Give me your favor. That's not selfish. Why? Because effectively, what does God's grace do in your life? It glorifies him. How do you know that? It says here, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory. In other words, if you have received God's grace, if you ask for that and he freely gives you that, guess who gets glorified? When you're saved, who got the glory? God did. God got the glory. I mentioned uh, last week about Michael Scow. Michael Scow was a man who uh, his son Jeremy had, had called and uh, asked me to come by through Harvey, asked me to come, and his dad was basically on his deathbed uh, in hospice, and he was, um, he was crying out. He really needed to talk to someone about his eternal state. And praise God, through sharing the gospel, this man, Michael Scow, got saved. And I asked Michael, and I, this is just kind of re- repeat from last week, but I said, Michael, what do you think happened to you after we prayed? He says, I'm forgiven. You know what? Who, t- who took the glory for that? Michael did? No. Did I? No. God took the glory for that. Can I share with you the second part? And I shared this on Wednesday night. So last Tuesday was the funeral. It was a great side of service, way on the country near Stacy, near Cambridge. Okay? Little, little small, little uh, cemetery that was out there. Uh, Harvey was there too, and uh, it was just kind of a unique get-together there. And uh, I was able to share the testimony of what happened. And a lot of these people, some of them, of course, they knew Michael. Some, one guy told me he hadn't seen Michael for 40 years. And so I was able to share his testimony. This is what God did. This is what happened in Michael's last five days of his life. How he trusted Jesus as your Savior. And he had a desire. His, his family told me that the day he got saved, he asked him, well, you should do this too. You should get saved too. And so that was his heart. Here's a guy on his deathbed. What can he do in his last days? Well, he can simply give glory to God by what was going on. So I had the copy of the bridge track, and we actually, I, I ran out of tracks, actually, to give to the people. They, they talked about whether they read it themselves or they said, I want to give, the, I have someone in mind, I want to give this to you. Guess what would happen? That testimony in Michael's life of God's grace went to others, and now that is spreading. And who knows where that's going to end? That's God's grace. That's God's grace. You think of this, Michael Scow was a babe in Christ, but he grew by leaps and bounds in his final days. 
Think about that. Uh, my, Jeremy said, I think Harvey, you might, you might have heard this too, that his dad, in the last couple of days, he didn't know what day it was. It really was kind of foggy, but he remembered that man who came in to tell him about Jesus. He remembered that. And he knew where he was going. He had peace. And I'll be honest with you, when I was looking at almost 50 people, I think it was around 50, close to that, 40, 50 people that were there. And when I was telling the testimony, I'll be honest with you, there was a look of shock on most of their faces. In a good way. <laughs> in a good way. You never know what God can do with someone who simply gives him the glory. All right? This is what this is about. So, again, without God's grace and his favor, we'd be hopelessly lost in this world. The more grace we have and ask God for, the more mature as Christians we will be. So this is the goal of the Christian's development. The Christian's maturity, a Christian's uh, goal is to do this, is to grow. So make it your habit to always be growing. Make it your habit to always grow in the Lord. Okay? Don't get complacent or content. I'm okay with now. I'm all right. I can worship God in my deer stand. No offense to the hunters. It's great to be in the deer stand. But that's not a substitute for your time with the Lord and with other believers under his word, okay? So the question is this, what does growth look like? That's a good question. What does it really look like, okay? Let's put, let's put a face to this or something we can identify. Well, first of all, we grow in grace, as we say, grow in grace. And this is the basis for our faith. As someone wrote here, to grow in grace does not mean gaining more grace from God, because God's grace never increases. It is infinite. It cannot be more because it is sufficient. The grace that God gives you in the midst of suffering, for example, 2 Corinthians 12, okay? It wasn't like, well, I'm going to give you a little bit of grace here or there. God's grace is abundant and sufficient for every need. It cannot be more according to the nature of God, and it can never be less. Think about that. God is going to give you, God is not going to like, well, I'm only going to give you a little bit of grace today. He's going to give you abundant grace, sufficient grace. Praise God for that. He, he gave, for example, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, that they should be saved. Wasn't God's grace totally sufficient for that? Absolutely. Why do you think he's going to give you less grace now than the grace that he saved you with? Very important. So this, how much more grace could there possibly be in that? But to grow in grace is to grow in our understanding of what Jesus did and grow in our appreciation of the grace that we have been given. The more we learn about Jesus, the more we will appreciate all that he has done. And the more we appreciate his love and his sacrifice for us on the cross, and the more we will perceive the never-ending grace of God. The more you know about Christ, the more you'll love him, the more grace you receive. And grace upon grace. We not only grow in grace, but we also grow in the knowledge, we grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it's interesting here. Christ is, number one, he's the author of grace, but Christ is also the object of knowledge. Okay, think about that. When we see here, we grow in grace, Christ is the author of grace. When we grow in knowledge, Christ is the object of our knowledge. We know him, okay? So knowledge in this passage, it implies, first of all, a personal encounter with Jesus Christ as our Savior. Like I said, when you get saved, when you become born again as a child of God, this is when the Christian life begins. So this knowledge, first of all, starts with knowing him personally as your Lord and Savior. Okay? That's a, it's a personal knowledge that you have. There's a lot of people who, again, they think they, they know God, but really they just know about God. 
they know a few things. They know a couple trivia questions, okay? But they really don't know him. So this is what we talk about here when we grow in grace and knowledge. This is part of our sanctification. Sanctification means to be set apart for him for a, a purpose, an eternal purpose. This is a part of our sanctification, being set apart. And that won't be totally revealed until we're in heaven, okay? But we grow in our sanctification, grow in being separated unto him. The more we know of him, the more of him will be seen in our lives. Think of this. How do you know someone's a Christian? Oh, because they sing certain songs, dress a certain way, maybe go to church. Maybe those are some surface things you know about someone. But really, a person who's a Christian that you can identify is that they love Jesus Christ. And they can't wait to know him more and more, share that with others, see that growth in their life, can't wait to spend time in his word and prayer. Those are things that, again, promote that growth. You'd be around someone and say, man, that person has been with Jesus. I think back, the person that comes to mind immediately is um, uh, Dick Dean. I think I've mentioned him. Dick Dean and his wife, Carla, uh, they were a part of um, a First Baptist Church up in Brainerd, where, which were, we went to church years ago. And uh, tell you what, this man was a man of prayer, a man of God. When you're around Dick Dean for more than a few minutes, you could tell that, man, he has spent time with God. He has spent time with Jesus. And I tell you what, he loved Jesus Christ more than anything. He's an inspiration. There's many others I could say about that. Another man I know, uh, name is uh, Dick Whited. Dick Whited, he was to be my band teacher, taught me the trumpet. He was our choir director when I was in high school. And he was a man who deeply loved Jesus Christ. And he loved others. He loved to share that with others. He loved to impact his students and sharing, of course, musical talents and all that, but he loved to share who Jesus was. Why? Because he had spent time with Christ. He knew that and he shared that. What a great thing that is. So here's the idea. The more we know of him, the more of him will be seen in our lives. We both know Jesus and we also know about Jesus as well. They both work together, okay? Another thing is this, we grow in knowledge, but we also grow in humility as well. To grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Jesus Christ means that we grow with humility. The Bible says this in James 4, 6, that God resisteth the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He gives grace. How do you grow in grace? It's through humility. You know, it's when you think, man, I've arrived. I've none, I know there everything there's about Jesus. I've, I've memorized the entire Bible. Good for you, okay? But you know, there's a lot of people who have all this head knowledge, but they don't apply in their lives, Okay? By taking care of, of those things that are in our lives to check ourselves, making sure that our ego is suppressed, okay? In true humility, God gives us grace, okay? Here's the difference. Remember I said before that Paul was, or Peter was warning about false teachers and false teaching that was coming in to the church or among believers, that false teachers, they seek glory for themselves. They want people to come to their side, to do what they want to do, what they, they say, but here's the difference. For a child of God, what you're concerned about is this, that no matter what happens, no matter what I learn, that all glory and praise will go to Christ. That's what it says here. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. That's the important thing. We also grow by reading God's word and by letting it dwell in us richly. Uh, Colossians 3.16 mentions that let the word of God dwell in you richly, speaking yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So we grow by staying attached to God's word. So get in God's word, read the Bible, pray every day and obey, all right? Doing those things on a consistent basis promotes your spiritual growth and that you see the grace of God in your life. Very, very important. 
the scriptures contain all the knowledge we will ever need to learn of, about God and his son and the Holy Spirit, at least in this life. The God's desire for those he has saved is their sanctification and their transformation. You're not the same, okay? You're not the same as you were when you were a baby. Or when you were a teenager, you're not the same. You've changed. How have you changed? It's because God has transformed your life. He has changed you from the inside out. And people around you can say, man, there's something different about that person. They're changed, okay? Uh, I'm just going to throw this in. My, my dad, and some of you know my dad's testimony. When he was uh, a youth, he was very troubled, okay? He, he was a naughty boy, put it that way. He even spent some time, this is long before I, I was born all that, but he spent some time even in, in jail. And uh, God worked in his life, was wonderfully saved. And guess what? Every once in a while, he will head up back north on the Canadian border where he's originally from. And they have like class reunions and, um, you know, family reunions, things like that. And they get together and then all of a sudden, here's my dad. And he says, well, I do Bible studies. I, now he's a pastor up there in Pine River. Okay. He's, he's sharing all that. I said, wait a minute. You're not the same person that we knew when we were in high school. All right. My dad was a troublemaker. No one wanted to be around him. Okay. Because he beat you up. Okay. <laughs> he's changed now. And now he loves people. And shares that. You know what? Human logic can't figure that out why that is. You could call that karma or whatever you want to call it. But you know what? That's not. It's the grace of God that has worked in my dad's life. And I pray in your life as well that when someone sees you, says, you're not the same person I remember. You're different. I can't put my finger in it, but you're different. You know what? I have an answer. It's the grace of God in your life. Here's the thing. The, as we spend time in God's word, spend time with him in prayer, God wants us to become holy like himself. Be holy for I am holy. He wants to transform us or conform us to the image of his son. That was what we talked about in Romans 8. The way to do this is by meditating on the scriptures, applying the principles to our lives, and to yield ourselves to the conviction and the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. So here's the thing. The more we know Christ, the more grace is invoked, that we call upon the Lord for grace. Warren Worsby says concerning this, the better we know Christ through his word, the more we grow in grace and the better we understand the word of God. So here's the thing. To sum this up, how do you know Christ? Through his word. Spend time in the word of God. The more you spend time in the word, you're going to grow in grace. And when you do that, guess what? You're going to better understand the word of God. It kind of goes full circle, doesn't it? Um, a lot of times when uh, I share the gospel with someone, they get saved, like I did with Michael, even his last days. I say this, that where do you start in the Bible? There's 66 books. Start in the book of Leviticus, right? Okay. Uh, by the way, Leviticus is one of my favorite books, but I probably wouldn't advise that for a brand new child of God to read that right away at least, okay? There's, there's, there's a time and place for it. But I usually say this. Start in the Gospels. Get to know Jesus. Get to know Jesus first. And by the way, I don't always, sometimes people say, start in the book of John. John's a great book, but I think you've got to know your audience too. Uh, for example, when with us working in Jewish missions, I usually advise a Jew, new Jewish believer, start in the book of Matthew. Why is that? Because it starts with the genealogy of Abraham and David and Jesus. And say so this is the lineage that goes back to Abraham. And wait a minute, because most Jewish people don't realize that Jesus was Jewish. I'd be honest with you, I have seen, I've heard so many testimonies of Jewish believers get saved because they read the genealogy in Matthew chapter one. Think about that. Uh, when we work with... Um, 
we worked with child evangelism fellowship and good news clubs in the public schools down in Tennessee. Uh, when a child got saved or they want to know more about the Bible or know where to read, I would often start them with the book of Mark. Why is that? Mark is one of the, it's the shortest of the gospels. Okay. And it moves rather quickly. We actually did this in our Sunday school this morning. We looked at key words. It's teens. What was the words that we found in the book of Mark that came up a lot? What was it? Immediately or straightway. You find those words in the book of Mark because Mark's a, uh, a man of action, okay? And it moves along a little bit quickly. And for a child and their attention span and their reading ability, okay, that kind of keeps them moving in the story just a little bit more. It, it suits them, okay? Uh, the book of Luke, I've heard from a lot of friends who do ministry among Muslims or Muslim speak or in Arabic-speaking countries that they will often refer them to the book of Luke, for example, for, for different reasons. They have, I forget exactly why now, but I've heard that many, many times. And I think in general, Gospel of John, you read of Jesus' encounters with people, whether it be Nicodemus or the woman at the well or the woman caught in adultery, whatever it may be, you hear these encounters that Jesus has with people. There's no wrong way to go, folks. But get someone, if you say, where do I start reading the Bible? Start in the Gospels. If you never read the Bible before, read, never read a complete book of the Bible, start in one of the Gospels. Get to know Jesus. Love him. Accept his grace in your life and grow thereby. And see this, the, the goal is to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So why? So we may become like Jesus, be conformed to the image of his dear son. Colossians chapter three says this, if ye then be risen with Christ or, or saved, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. You're a new creature. All things are passed away. All things are become new. Your life now is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is now our life, shall appear, then ye shall appear also with him in glory. Your life is not yours to live. It's Christ who lives in you. And he gives you the grace for each day. So the challenge is this. First steps for believers. No matter if you've been saved for a few days or a few years or many years, grow in grace. Grow in grace to the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Make it your habit to always be growing. And to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord, gives him glory. And understanding this is a great first step for every believer. Praise God for that. I must ask you as we close up this message, though, what about you? Do you, first of all, do you know Jesus Christ? Those who grow in Christ are those who have been saved by Christ, by his grace. If you're here today and you don't know for sure where you would spend eternity, you don't have that grace in your life. You're, you're like that dead Christmas tree with just a couple shiny ornaments, good for nothing, all right? But God can transform you and make the dead live. He can bring life to you, life everlasting. And what a blessing that is.